Let us ask ourselves today, honestly, do I serve Jesus wholeheartedly? Do I serve Him half-heartedly? Do I serve Him hard-heartedly? Or do I operate old-heartedly, still in the world, and have a rebellious heart towards God? If you truly love God and love people with God's brand of unconditional, sacrificial and serving love, which you can only do from a reborn heart, you will not be angry without cause, you will not hate and you will not lust. Both your brothers and sisters are your neighbors and to be angry and hate them and lust after them would not be an option. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We are busy with a series called The Teacher and we are working our way through Matthew 5. And we spoke, first we spoke about the attitudes and saw what it actually means to be blessed as defined by Jesus. We were challenged by what Jesus means when he says, you are earth salt and world light. And we were very blessed and encouraged to hear what it means when Jesus said he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. If you haven't heard any of these messages, I wanna encourage you to go and watch them on our YouTube channel or to listen to the podcast on our podcast channel. It's there. You can go back, listen to it. You can put it on one and a half speed or two while you're driving. Just get through it. It's important to get these messages into us. Amen? Today we're going to talk about the message wholeheartedly and we're going to get stuck into big segment of Matthew 5 where Jesus gets practical. He's going to get practical and, and he even intensifies the challenge for his audience with his words. From the verses we're going to read together today, we will see how Jesus confirms and clarifies a principle of God that we, that we saw when Samuel anointed David. God said to Samuel when he was going through the sons of Jesse, and he's, he thought, looking at the outward appearance, this must be the king, this must be the king, and God said, no, no, no. Eventually, he called David, and this young boy comes before him, and God says, for the Lord, well, actually, God said it before that. He said, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Our Creator weighs our lives. He weighs our lives, not by looking at our outer shell, which He created, and He knows, but he examines the state of our inside, the true condition of the heart of a person, the true essence of a man or a woman. What drives you? What motivates you? What or who does a person really worship? The true state of your heart will reveal who or what you are really worshiping on a daily basis. In a selfie-driven, I want to be an Insta or TikTok famous world, is a clear, it is clear more than ever that people judge and are judged by what they portray on the outside. That's what the world does. We mainly judge on what we see on the outside and it's, been, it's become more so. Therefore, many will only focus on how to look, how to sound, and how to be on the outside. Very little attention is given to the true state of our hearts. And when we talk about heart, it's not the organ. This represents, <laughs> it's not the organ, and it's also not your emotions. 
I'm not talking about your emotions, and I'm not, definitely not talking about the physical organ. The Bible talks about the authentic core of your personhood. The authentic core of your personhood, that is your heart. That thing that drives your life. Our outward appearance does not reveal our heart. The important part of us that only God can see. But our actions, especially the words that come out of our mouth, they can reveal the true state of our hearts. You agree? All right. So with that in mind, I'm going to read the whole next segment, and then we're going to break it up and get into it. Matthew 5, 21. This is Jesus preaching. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Rakah, will be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary Quickly, while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Verse 27, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Fun times. Jesus gets real. He gets up in our business. Gets into our hearts. Last week, we saw how Jesus came to fulfill the law and prophets. That segment, that's just before this one, ended with him stating that unless Your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We saw that Jesus is the only one who could fulfill all the law and the prophets. And he's the only one who adhered to the law 100%. And therefore is the only one whose righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees. And this is why it's so important for us as believers to realize that in him we have that same righteousness. Do you remember that from last week? Very important to understand that because he said this and then he started speaking about two specific commandments. Now he proceeds to teach his disciples and the multitudes whom he healed. Remember why they are there. He healed them by reminding them of two very important moral laws contained in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments which were written by God's own hand and given to Moses. Jesus is highlighting murder and adultery. And he contrasts what they have heard was said to those of old to what I'm saying to you now. Are we on the same page? Now, as Jesus does this, is he changing the commandments? Or is he perhaps Raising the bar of the commandments and thereby altering it. Jesus said just before this that he did not come to destroy 
or abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So no, he's not changing or raising the bar of the law. I know that I've before said that Jesus came and raised the bar just so we realize, listen, it's more important, but that implies a changing of the law. And that's not what I really meant. We'll get into that now. I'll explain it. Jesus said um, he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So now we need to pay attention and realize that even when he speaks of these specific laws, he must be busy fulfilling them. How? How is he fulfilling these two commandments that he's repeating? I believe it's by revealing the true heart behind the laws that the Father had for them in the first place. He's revealing the true spirit of the law. Can you see that? He's giving them the law that they know and then saying to them, it's actually so much more than what you think it is. Are we following? You guys are very quiet today. And that's our word for today, is the heart. It's all about the heart. These teachings of Jesus are a fulfillment of the true intention of the respective laws. All right. So one of the reasons that the message is called wholeheartedly today is because it's a play on words with whole, as in H-O-L-E, heartedly. Because some of us are going through life with H-O-L-E, heartedly, in some way, some form. And this is a question that I have for all of us today. Do I still have a hole in my heart from hurt, from the past, or from not fully surrendering to Christ? Or do I truly serve my Jesus wholeheartedly with all of my heart? Am I really there? Am I really there? Or am I even maybe I want to serve Him wholeheartedly, but I still have a hole in my heart that's holding me back. It's a lot of holes today. Remember, when you have a hole in your heart, it is impossible to serve him with your whole heart. Some of you didn't get that. When you have a hole in your heart, it's impossible to serve him with your whole heart. You understand this? Because you don't have a whole heart. It's maths, in a way. For some, the healing lies in getting truly born again so that you can receive your new heart with no holes. No holes barred. No, that's not going to work. So for some, the hole is there because you've never been born again. You know, there's that old saying, you, we all were born with a God-shaped hole in our hearts. It's not scripture, but it helps us to understand something. But Jesus doesn't just want to fit into that hole in your heart. He wants to give you a whole new heart. Amen? So some of us need to feel that emptiness and feel that disconnect because we are not yet one of his children. Others need to recognize that the new heart you did receive when you did get born again may be in a situation where your heart's actually saying to you, shots fired, shots fired, I'm hurt. Meaning, either you backslid, you compromised, started feeling guilty and ashamed, and you pulled away. And by that, there's hurt in your heart, and you feel like you cannot be in communication with God. Or maybe you got hurt in the church by Christians and now you're like, I don't do church. I love God, but I don't do church. Because you've got a, a hole in your heart. And you cannot serve Him wholeheartedly. Let us ask ourselves today, honestly, do I serve Jesus wholeheartedly? Do I serve Him half-heartedly? Do I serve Him hard-heartedly? Or do I operate old-heartedly 
still in the world and have a rebellious heart towards God. We need to ask ourselves this question, where do I fall? Wholeheartedly, half-heartedly, hard-heartedly, or not even serving Christ, I've got an old heart. Even more difficult and to the point of these verses, do I love and serve my neighbor, my brother, wholeheartedly, half-heartedly, hard-heartedly, or old-heartedly? Do I have any love for my neighbor in me? Now, Jesus touches on two very sensitive subjects, and both have to do with human relations. And both speak to what Jesus himself called the most important commandments, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, all right? He said that all the law and the prophets are summed up in these two commandments, And in another place, he said that all the law and the commandments are filled with, with, uh, sorry, Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So the two most important commandments and the so-called golden rule, do unto others that Jesus coined, not someone else, fulfill the law and the prophets. You're not nearly excited enough about that truth. In short, if you truly believe, if you truly love God and love people with God's brand of unconditional, sacrificial, and serving love, which you can only do from a reborn heart, you will not be angry without cause, you will not hate, and you will not lust. Both your brothers and sisters are your neighbors. And to be angry and hate them and lust after them would not be an option. Now I can end my sermon right there. Because it's a good point. But what's the fun in that? We're going to keep going. (laughs) So the first thing that Jesus tackles, anger without cause or hate is the same as murder in the heart. So we have to ask ourselves, what is murder? Murder is to end someone's life. It's to kill a human being. It's to take a life by force before that person was supposed to die. Why is murder wrong in God's eyes? We're just like, it's in the Ten Commandments. Why is it wrong? Why did God say, don't do this? Because God is the creator and giver of life, and he's sovereign over all life. This is why abortion is murder as well. God values each life that he creates. This is clear from the fact that God sent his only begotten son to die in the place of all mankind in order to save all lives. Why else would Jesus die on a cross if lives didn't matter to him? And also from Psalm 139, Ephesians 1, 1 Peter 1, and many other scriptures, we hear how precious we are to God, how we are His masterpiece made for a reason. There is value on human life put there by God. That is why we don't murder people. Not because it's against the law, because God has given life and He is sovereign over all life. To take someone's life is to choose to interfere with God's creation and purpose. David, King David, understood this as we see how he had several opportunities to kill King Saul who was trying to kill him. And he just said, I will not not touch the Lord's anointed. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Even though he was trying to kill him. David had every reason and every opportunity, but he put God's view of life and anointing above his own will. So why should we not commit murder? Because God said so. (laughs) 
And we should obey His command out of fear of the Lord and out of love for Him. Secondly, we should not do it out of love for our neighbor. If we truly love our neighbor, we will not kill our neighbor. Are we on the same page? How many of you have wanted to kill a neighbor, a next-door neighbor, their dogs? Yeah. When Jesus told the parable, sorry, when Jesus spoke about who's your neighbor, he told a story about a man who did the right thing who the, from, a, from a group of people, the Samaritans, who the Jews hated. So your neighbor is every other human being that's alive around you. Ish. So, we have established it is against God's will that we murder anyone. Are we in agreement? Now, Jesus equates anger without cause and name-calling and cursing a brother with murder. For him, it's the same. So in the eyes of Jesus, when I carry anger in my heart against someone without cause, or if I hate them and call them an idiot or a fool, then I kill them. How's that possible, you may ask? Jesus gives us what seems like three levels of behavior toward our brother that equates to murder in the heart. Now, we keep saying brother because that's in the, in the scripture. Some of the ladies are going, whew, it's only for the men. No. In the Bible, sons and brothers are spiritual terms. Ladies, it's for you too. Okay. So the first level, anger without cause, is in danger of judgment. Then he says, when that anger rises to the place where you would say raka to someone, now in that language, it means empty-headed person, someone with no understanding. If you call someone that, and in that time it was not a nice word to, tell, to say to people, you could get in front of the council for doing that. And if you say, you fool, you are in danger of hellfire. The word fool in the Jewish context meant you are godless. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So when Jesus quotes this as something you would say to a brother, you are saying you are godless. It's, it was a very serious accusation for that time. In today's language, it would be the same as you saying to someone, go to hell, and meaning it. That's that level. And when you do that, if you hate someone with that much contempt, it is equal to murder. Jesus is revealing to them that not dealing with anger can lead to hatred. And that hatred not dealt with can put them in danger of going to hell. Because what is it, actually? It's unforgiveness. And Jesus makes it very clear when he gives us the, the way to pray, which we'll get into in a few weeks probably. He says, Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. That forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And right after that, that prayer, he says to his disciples, if you do not forgive, God will not forgive you. What happens if God doesn't forgive us? What's the consequences of unforgiveness from God to us? I will leave that with you to think about. Put it another way. If your heart is opened to open up to anger because of an offense, if your brother does or says something that tempts you into anger and you don't deal with that anger the right way, it may lead to hatred, which is tantamount to murdering that person in your heart because you kill their God-given worth in your heart. You kill how God sees them. You change the way you see them from God honoring to and, and God having given them a precious entity and you take that away and you say, I will not look at them that way anymore. Their life now means less or nothing to you than what it does to God. And that's how we kill people in our hearts. Okay. 
Now this next point is very important, and I want you to see this clearly, because to be quite honest, I didn't get this until I read The Bait of Satan, and John Bevere helped me to see this. But it's crucial to understanding this portion of Scripture. After Jesus said what the consequences are of whoever is angry and hates his brother is in danger of hellfire, he says the word, therefore. Now check it out. Jesus does, sorry, ask yourself this question. Does Jesus want people to go to hell? No. How do we know that? He came to make sure that it's not necessary by giving his own life. Now back to verse 23 that starts with the word, therefore. It's significant. So we need to see that because this is the danger of unchecked anger and hatred, if you go to bring your gift to the altar, if you go to worship God, if you go to pray to God and realize someone else has something against you, in other words, a brother has an offense against you. A brother has anger or hatred against you. In other words, the brother is in danger of hellfire. Then you must go to them. Why? To save their life. Did you know this already? Is it not news? It was kind of massive when I figured this out. Do you get it? I need to feel like I need to explain it again. If you worship before God, if you, you want to enter a time of worship and you feel the Holy Spirit prompt you, listen, so-and-so are offended by something you did or said. God is worried about their offense. He cares about their offense because if they don't deal with it, they are in danger of hellfire. So because you love that person, your neighbor, you humble yourself you wait before you come to God and you go and reconcile with your brother. It might mean that you have to say, I'm sorry for something you don't feel you should be sorry for. But that's what humility means. It's to humble yourself for the sake of that person's life. Does that make more sense? We have a responsibility toward our brothers to always be careful not to offend. But if there is offense, to go and face it and sort it out. Because anger, hate, and unforgiveness will lead people to a dark place. Now, if you went and you humbled and you did your thing and that person is still offended, still angry, then that's their problem that they need to deal with in front of God. But we have a responsibility to make sure that that person has a chance to make things right. Then in the last part of this, Jesus teaches them to agree with an adversary quickly in order to avoid going to prison and to pay every last penny. How many of you are excited about that? I'm sure some of the lawyers in the room don't like that idea. We like a good fight. I'd rather sort it out in court. But Jesus is saying the kingdom way when someone wants to take you to court, when someone wants to sue you, when someone has a case against you or want to make a case against you, it is to sort it out quickly, come to terms quickly, settle. And that's, that's something that is tough for our minds because we feel like, no, I have rights and I want to stand on my rights. And Jesus is saying, you died. You don't have rights. You have the right to live the kingdom in this earth. I believe that verse 26 says we need to understand that we can usher the justice system of the kingdom of heaven into a corrupted justice system of this world. We have an opportunity that when someone comes against us with the world's system of judgment, we, by humbling ourselves, looking them in the eye, not weak, meek, handle the situation, God can usher His presence into that situation. Because the enemy will try to find any way, shape, or form to get you in a place of prison, to get you to fork out things that, you, that you're not 
You shouldn't have to, but now you're in that situation. Because why? You were proud. You wanted to fight. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not the kingdom way. Amen? All right. Then Jesus talks about adultery. He says, whoever looks to lust at a woman has committed adultery with her in his heart. The phrase, look to lust, is important to note. To see a woman and appreciate her beauty is not sinful in itself. God made it so that men will find women attractive. And the men go, amen. After all, if you're a single guy trusting God for a wife, I'm sure you would like your wife to be attractive to you. So you need to be able to look, right? But it's the way in which you look. And this is where it becomes complicated. This is because this is why Jesus looks at the heart. Because you know how you are looking. Amen? And if you don't see, okay, so, so Jesus is not referring to men seeing a woman and thinking she's beautiful. But admiring beauty is not the same as looking to lust. Lust is a strong desire to want something that's not yours. In Jesus' time, it was the women that were walking around and probably the nearest brothel that was relevant. But nowadays, unfortunately, our world is saturated with the objectification of women and men and breaks your heart, children. And both men and women get sucked into this perversion. And it happens with both men and women that we are tempted. Yes, men are more visually stimulated and led, but I think the world has changed so much that we see way more women getting stuck into this thing as well. And I think Fifty Shades and Magic Mike has a lot to do with it. So ladies, rather stay away. We have to look at God's original design for marriage. God created marriage to be between one man and one woman, and he created sex to be this amazing way that they can express their love and intimacy for each other and to procreate. That is God's design. It is a creation ordinance. It is set. It will not change. It has not changed. But you should know by now that whatever God has created for a pure purpose, the devil will come and pervert and offer a cheap counterfeit. And he has done that, and unfortunately, he has succeeded with two of the most sacred and beautiful things God lovingly designed. The prince of the power of the air who leads the sons of disobedience has systematically enslaved generations of men and women with a lie that sex is just physical, it's cheap, it can be bought, and that women and men are just things or commodities to be used and discarded. From billboards to shop windows to magazines, TV, social media ads, scantily dressed teenagers in the mall to pop music icons and Hollywood actors competing to see who can wear the least amount of clothing and do the riskiest risque thing to every perversion broken minds can conceive online. Men and women are bombarded with lustful images all the time. Did I say men and women? It breaks my heart to do this, but I need to include boys and girls. Our children. Sure. The average age children are exposed to these things is 10. Have you seen your grade seven's biology book or life orientation book? Do you know what's going on on your boys' WhatsApp groups? Do you know who your daughter is chatting to late at night? Do you know whose voice is in your child's headphones as he or she is playing online video games for hours on end? Do you know? Do you care? Jesus says, whoever looks to lust 
What about whoever chooses to present themselves in a lustful way so that someone will be tempted to look to lust? Something to think about. In this passage, Jesus specifically says adultery. Adultery is when a married man has sex with another man's wife or another woman. It is being unfaithful. It is to break covenant with your spouse. And according to Jesus, if you just desire to do this, you have, done, you have committed adultery in your heart. And this includes a married man looking at any woman to lust after her, even a picture or a video of a complete stranger online. Adultery, plain and simple. You are guilty. But the word adultery includes all forms of sexual immorality. Fornication, which is sex before marriage. No, young people, you cannot live together and sleep together before you get married. It is against God's word and will for you. Don't do it. And it includes any other actions that go against God's will for marriage and sex. So if we look to lust at any of, in any of these kinds of things, in any of these areas, the same principle applies. We have committed that sin and we have broken God's moral law. He goes on to say that we should get rid of any body part that causes us to sin because it's better to go without an eye or a hand than for your whole body to burn in hell. This freaked me out as a teenager. I thought I was going to have to cut something off. But can we see how serious this sin is to Jesus? Can you sense the weight of what he is saying? We can also see how much he cares for us. Because he's telling us not to do something because of the consequences that will surely come. And because he loves us, he says, don't do it. Don't do it. Because this will be the consequences. He does not want to see us go down that road. Does he really expect us to cut out an eye or some body part? Yes. No, I'm kidding. But he is, however, saying that we should deal severely with temptation. And anything that would lead us to commit that sin, we have to deal with it severely. Firstly, I think what he means is we need to again remember that we need to be in him. Remember, Jesus was speaking here before the crucifixion and resurrection and the new covenant, but we know, like we read in so many amazing scriptures last week, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. So in Christ, we have a new spirit that wants to do the will of God. But as I've explained many times before, we have a body and a soul that needs to catch up with our spirit that is new. That is the sanctification process, and this takes time. This is where we get back to the whole H-O-L-E in the heart that needs to be fixed. You see, as an unsaved person, we are very susceptible to lust. And if a person has suffered any kind of sexual abuse or has a wound of that kind, they will be trapped by lies of the enemy that will make them prone to the sin. And the cycle will continue. And when they do get saved, they would need to get healing of their past wounds. And they would need to grow in their sanctification in order to be completely free of the temptation of lust. Personally, I was exposed as a 12-year-old. And it ruined a big part of my life. For a big part of my, of my life, I struggled with this. And it's still something that wants to haunt me and wants to come and take and steal. And I have to be severe. It has caused pain, guilt, shame, and a lot of hurt. And I hate that it's been a part of my life. That's how hard the enemy has come for me. What is he doing in your life? What is he using against you? What open doors are there that needs to be closed? What holes are still in your heart that needs to be healed? 
It's vitally important to be born again. You have to be a born again believer because that's how you get rid of the sinful nature. What did did Jesus say? Gouge out the eye, cut off the arm. What is that? That which is causing you to sin, the flesh. He says, in me, that dies. So the first way that we cut off and we, we are severe is we get born again so that we can be new, so that the old is past. Do you understand that? Anyone? All right. Secondly, and this links with the first, when we are born again, our heart is now whole and we can serve Jesus wholeheartedly. We can love God and love people. Now, when we have a new heart in Christ Jesus, we obey His commands and we want to love people. So another way of dealing with this sin, we have now cut off the lust. We've cut off that which is not of God. So now we can actually love our brother, love our sister. And if we love them, we will not lust after them. Plus, we will not hurt our spouse. Because if I really love my spouse, I will not do that to them. Amen? And thirdly, I do think when Jesus says cut off, it is also a practical thing, which has two ways of doing it. First, stop it. Stop the bad habits by replacing them with good habits. You cannot just stop and think it's not going to go again. Anyone that's been addicted to anything will tell you that doesn't work. Some people have amazing testimonies of how God healed them instantaneously and they never had a craving again. Hallelujah. That's great. But for most people, it's a process where you have, you have triggers, you have certain things that put you in a certain mindset that leads to that. And you have to completely change those habits into new healthy habits that lead you to a place of not going there. And the best healthy habit to always pursue is time with God. Every day. Because there we die to self. There we remember what it means to pick up our cross. There we remember what it means to be pure and holy and who we truly are in Christ. And that doing that is not who we are. Amen? And the second part of that is to get rid of things that can lead us into that temptation and to put up guardrails to make sure that we don't have that in our lives. Lastly, men, women, boys and girls, there is an all-out war on the creation ordinances of marriage, sex, and family. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy God's original design for marriage and family. And at the moment, it looks like he's winning. And one of the biggest weapons he has in this warfare is the perversion of sex. It breaks up marriages. It hurts children. It obliterates the purity and the innocence of our children. So what do we do about this? How do we change it? Do you want to be part of the change? That's the first question, I guess. Who wants to see this change? Who wants to keep ignoring the problem? Firstly, we choose to actively believe, live, and promote God's original plan for marriage, sex, and family. The best way to say something is, it's not about saying it's wrong. The best way is to live the right way. That is the best poster you can hold up and say, I have chosen to do things God's way. Look at the fruit of my life. People cannot argue with fruit. They will try, but they would be wrong. Secondly, men. We need to make sure that we cultivate and live healthy habits that keep us close to God and focused on His ways. If you come from a deep wound or addiction in this area, then you will need help. You will need to put up guardrails and you would need to be held accountable. There's a journey ahead, but we are here to help. Jesus does not want any of us to live outside of his will for sexual purity. He wants marriages to thrive, for a husband and wife to enjoy each other intimately and make lots of babies. He wants that. That's part of his plan. And he knows that Satan's version kills, steals, destroys, brings guilt and shame, and leads us to be 
cut off from God and his purpose. So he will fight as hard as he can to lead you astray. Let's not fall for his plans and his schemes. Let's not believe the lies. Let us wholeheartedly serve our Jesus with everything that we have. Amen. In the presence of God's holiness. In the presence of His grace. The chains of guilt and shame are breaking right now in Jesus' name. Some of you are struggling today because you just don't know how to not feel guilty or not feel ashamed. Jesus died for your sin and the consequences of your sin, which are guilt and shame. So just come before him today and say, Lord, I surrender even holding on to shame. I surrender even holding on to guilt. You might be saying in your heart, yes, science, but you don't know what I've done. (laughs) Do you think that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough for what you did? It was enough for all the people in all the world of all the time. I once had that argument with God. I said, Lord, but how can you forgive me? I've done it again. How can, I, how can you forgive me? I've done this terrible thing. And I felt God say to me, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to question my finished work on the cross? Just take a moment today and receive the finished work on the cross. And yes, if you have unrepented sin in the area of hating taking offense, having anger, or in the area of adultery, sexual immorality, just come and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Say the words, Lord, I repent of doing this thing. Say it to him now. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. Forgive me. And if you have truly meant that repentance, The word says in 1 John 1, if you ask for forgiveness, he will freely forgive. So now you have to receive his forgiveness, his love. And some of you might need to go, I forgive myself in Jesus' name. Just do that if you feel that's necessary. hate and offense and sexual immorality comes down to a heart issue it comes down to whether your heart is healed and whole because of Christ or whether you are still hurting because of something that you haven't given to and that wound causes you to not see yourself as who you truly are and then it's easier to fall into a temptation it's easier to step out of line Say, Lord, come and make my heart whole. Come and, f- come and heal this pain. I want you to take a moment. I just sense there's still unforgiveness hanging in the air. So let us just close your eyes and say, Holy Spirit, who do I need to forgive? The first name or face that popped into your mind right now is someone that you need to forgive. Just take a moment and say, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I forgive you and I set you free. Now ask God, what is the lie that I believe because of this thing that I kept against this person? What is that lie? You might be getting a thought that you're not worthy. You might be getting a thought that you're always going to be the same you're never going to change Jesus is saying right now no that's not the truth my son that's not the truth my daughter I have come and done a finished work on the cross surrender your heart and see how I make it new no more holes just being whole in me 
let him come and do a work in you right now. to do your will we say here I am send me Lord we want to be effective in your kingdom and in order to do that we need whole hearts fully focused on you fully healed so that we can be effective in every area that you've called us to be no more holding back no more no more worrying and thinking and pondering about sin focusing on who we are in Christ and living from that place. Thank you for the healing that has taken place in this day. Thank you for the release that you've done in this place today. Thank you for every heart that is made whole today. Thank you for every offense and unforgiveness that's been dealt with. Thank you for every sexual sin that has been dealt with. We thank you, Lord. We leave it at the altar and we know that we can lift our heads high walking with the knowledge that you have paid the ultimate price. You, in you, we are made righteous. In you, we are washed clean. And we can walk as sons and daughters of the living God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's give our God a praise offering for what He has done here today in this place. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, we honor you, we worship you. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.